0: this evening, Jeremiah chapter 1, we'll take a look here at uh, a little bit of the life of Jeremiah and uh, certainly, at least me, uh, whatever Bible character or book I'm studying at the time, that's my favorite Bible character, my favorite book, we'll tell everybody about it. So I was reading Jeremiah and I got slowed down uh, with so many interesting, uh, notable things in the book of Jeremiah, so many memorable things, things we've been taught, a lot of a lot of illustrations, a lot of object lessons in the book of Jeremiah. I think the Lord had him teach those object lessons partly because he had him live through those object lessons himself. Uh, but um, i talk about a couple people that played their small part in God's big plan. And uh, that's for us this evening. Our part in God's uh, big plan, Jeremiah, uh, certainly was one man that uh, fits that bill, and um, we'll look at another man, man at the end, more recently, that did the same thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together in your house, Lord. It's a blessing to think of the many ladies that uh, were welcomed here on Friday evening, and uh, Lord, uh, we had a great time of fellowship and good food, and then Lord, heard from you, heard from your word. Thank you for Mrs. Smith, Lord, and her praying, and and, uh, I know her parents were praying for her as well. She spoke. We're grateful for them. We ask, Lord, that there would be continued fruit. Great to see even here this evening, some guests that we had Friday night that are back today and tonight as well. Pray for the follow-up from that. Lord, as we head into the spring with our uh, preaching conference and our spring push, great opportunities, Lord, to serve you, and uh, we pray, Lord, as... um, these things go out Lord that everyone here all of us would find our small part and and be a part of your big plan in that we ask God you bless our time here in your word this evening in Jesus name we pray amen well in the book of Jeremiah here the first chapter starts off with him getting the call from God and he was not interested in that call at first he got a call and um, he had an excuse and then the Lord came back and gave him some reasons why he, he would be sufficient for Jeremiah to be a prophet. But if you look there at verse 5, at the end of the verse here, God says to Jeremiah, I ordained thee a prophet. Actually, before he was um, delivered in the womb, he said, I, I've ordained you to be a prophet. What Jeremiah hears is most likely, they're guessing, people guess, you know, uh, what a Brother Schwank, you say the scholars, uh, guess that Jeremiah is probably about 17 years old here. So I don't know that the idea of being a prophet for a 17-year-old was super appealing. 17-year-old, and now you're going to be a prophet. Uh, 66 years before Jeremiah was the prophet Isaiah. We don't know for certain from Scripture how Isaiah died, but uh, historical uh, sources point to Isaiah being the one spoken of in Hebrews 11.37, when it's speaking of some of the great men of faith in the past and how they passed away and how that uh, among them, there were those that were sawn in sunder. So historical tradition tells us that Isaiah faced a terrible death. He was literally cut in two with a wooden saw. I think if that is the case, that's probably fresh on Jeremiah's mind that Isaiah was a prophet and now God says to this 17-year-old, "And, and I've, I've chosen you to be a prophet." How about it, Jeremiah? Jeremiah's like, "Um, let me see here, verse six. Um, I can't speak. Is that enough? Does that get me out? I'm not a prophet. No, I know what happens to those guys. They, they, they never make the top 10 most popular list on anything. I can't speak. Lord said in verse 7, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. The Lord gave him a reassurance in this difficult task that he would be with him. Furthermore, verse 9, The Lord said unto him, I have put my words in thy mouth. Verse 17, Therefore, Gird up thy loins. He said, Jeremiah, I'm going to treat you like a man. I know you're a a teenager, but I'm going to treat you like a man. I'm going to say, gird up your loins. Get ready for the work. All right, step up here. And uh, along with this, verse 17, be not afraid of their faces. Go out with courage. Go out with bravery, which is a mark of a man. Be not dismayed at their faces. And uh, he says in verse 18, I'm telling you here, you're going to be against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, against, 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 against. But I am with you. Be not afraid of their faces. I am with you. Verse 19, Jeremiah, God says to him, they shall fight against thee. But they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. What a great promise for this young man to go out. And uh, he was told what he would face. He was not dumb. He knew what happened to the prophets uh, historically here in Judah and in Israel. But he had, along with that, he has God's promise for courage and for protection and for God's special presence through all of this. And so the prophet's life was never easy, but Jeremiah happened to be dropped into the world in the midst of a time when God was working through his promise and his guarantee of judgment. That was Jeremiah's small place in God's big plan. God knew what was going on. God knew what had happened there in and around Jerusalem. And judgment was on its way and Jeremiah was born and God said, you're my prophet for this time. Your small part, your small life, I have prepared for you in this bigger plan of mine. Jeremiah, I know what's going on in my plan. I just want to see you fulfill and be obedient to me in the midst of my bigger plan. Jeremiah did not create the problem. And frankly, by the end of Jeremiah's life, he did not see the problem corrected. He didn't see the people back into the land after the captivity. Furthermore, Jeremiah didn't even get to end his life in his native country. Jeremiah died in exile in Egypt, of all places, which in the Bible is known as the place or the, 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 the symbolic country that represents sin, Yet that was God's plan in part, small part of his bigger plan was Jeremiah being faithful in that time, in that place, doing what God had commanded him to do. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. We're going to work our way through several parts of the book of Jeremiah, but. Some call Jeremiah 29, 11 the key verse in all of this entire book because here in this time of final judgment, and you know, sometimes stories end with judgment, and that's going to be the case here with Jerusalem uh, for, for these next uh, several uh, years, this judgment and exile. But even in the midst of that, the Lord opens up his thoughts to his disobedient people even though they were on the road to judgment look at verse 20 uh, verse 11 jeremiah 29 for i know the thoughts that i think toward you saith the lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end then shall ye call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and i will hearken unto you and ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all nations. The end of verse 14, I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried captive. So this key verse is a verse that in the midst of judgment, there is hope because of God, who's the God of hope. Jeremiah had this as his understanding of who God was Jeremiah lived in a again tur- tumultuous time the The wonderful kingdom that uh, had been established under Saul and David and Solomon had been divided after only those three kings and uh, from that point forward, really Israel was weakened. They were split into two: the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Judah and the northern part of Israel uh, several or a hundred years or so before uh, Jeremiah had been taken captive by the Assyrians. So at this time in Jeremiah's, uh, when Jeremiah lived, there were three major world uh, powers that were vying for control of the world in and around Jeremiah's little small country of Judah. There were, there were the people of Assyria, which had already uh, made great inroads against uh, part of Israel and even against Egypt. They were a ferocious, uh, battle uh, centered uh, world power. Uh, they were not necessarily interested in spreading culture. They were spreading death and destruction along the way. And uh, they were at the door, uh, so to speak, of Judah during the days of Isaiah. And Isaiah prayed to the Lord along with King Hezekiah. He poured his heart out to the Lord. And uh, that next morning, 185,000 Assyrians lay dead on the battlefield a day before they were going to come in and take over what was left of Israel. But Assyria had regrouped and they were still fighting their way around uh, the world. And, uh, but Babylon was the upstart country. And uh, they were uh, becoming rivals with Assyria, Babylon further to the east, Assyria to the north, and then south of Israel was the constant nemesis, uh, Egypt, and their pharaohs and their chariots and all that was going on. And so, really, if there was a Israeli news network, INN, back at that day, there would be a 24-hour news cycle, it would be all bad news. All bad news. Sound familiar? (laughs) Nothing good is going on. Big world powers vying for control. And here in the middle of that is is a 17-year-old young man with a command to go be a prophet. And in a world that looked pretty dire. What a lot of bright things in the world. Uh, Wasn't a lot of hope in the world other than his understanding of who his God was. And the God of hope. And God's big plan of which he wanted Jeremiah to fulfill his small part. And so now we've got Jeremiah who comes uh, in to be a prophet, a young prophet, and uh, it's interesting. He prophesied during the reign of five kings of Judah, actually the last five kings of Judah before the captivity took place. The first of those five kings probably gave Jeremiah a lot of hope that what he was doing was worthwhile. That was King Josiah. And during the reign of King Josiah, who also started out very young, eight years old, reigning. How about that? Eight-year-olds eight in here. Like to rule a kingdom or two for a while. I don't know how we would do following you with that think there'd be a lot of chicken nuggets, uh, you know, distributed a- a- around and Happy Meals a- around the horn for everybody. Uh, so that could be good. Um, <clears throat> for those of us that are watching our weight, it could be detrimental. But nonetheless, we would figure out a way around that. Just get a Diet Coke with that makes everything better. So, So Josiah is, is actually listening. He's listening. A king is listening to a prophet. Wow, that's amazing. God's good. Josiah found the book of the law. He said, let's read that. And they read it. And he said, we're going to do what this book says. Jeremiah is a prophet. What a blessing that is. Jeremiah may have been thinking, well, this prophet job's not so bad after all. I mean, even the king is listening to what I said. Okay, I don't know what those other guys were doing wrong, but I must be doing something right because the entire nation is having revival under my teaching and my preaching. Praise the Lord that Josiah saw what was going on and and, and things turned around, a bit of a national revival there for a while. But God wanted Jeremiah to stay faithful in his small part in the midst of God's bigger plan. Unfortunately, the four kings that followed Josiah who faced an early, untimely death on a battlefield, the four kings that followed Josiah were really little more than just puppet kings of one of these other world empires that had began to control even the the, uh, the the country of Judah there. Two of those four kings only ruled for a, a mere three months each. And the ones that ruled a little bit longer than that, about a decade each, immediately when they got control, reversed all of those Revival, uh, 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 the, the, the revival spirit of Josiah, they reversed that and, and actually brought back in the idols into the temple of God and reinstituted idol worship and giving tribute to these foreign countries. And I can't help but think that Josiah or uh, Jeremiah might have been thinking, what's going on now? See, what's, what, what's, what's, wrong with, what's, what's wrong with me? I've got the same message and now this same message is being rejected, and not only being rejected, his message, but uh, he was facing a growing amount of persecution and trials and troubles because of his message. Somewhere along the line there, Jeremiah, I believe, felt like getting out of his small part of God's bigger plan. And we see a couple times where he expresses that And his dismay at what he was faced with doing. Things were good. Now things were difficult. Jeremiah's personal life. What about him himself? Well, he was born into a family of priests in a small town just about three miles away from Jerusalem. And uh, he prophesied, a prophet, for 40 years. And uh, again, started as a teen had years of victory and years of trial. And during these years of trial, we see some thoughts that Jeremiah gave, as I mentioned. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Here's one of the times where Jeremiah seemingly just wanted out. He just wanted out of God's plan. Following God was costing him now. And uh, he says this in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. In this verse, Jeremiah simply says, I, I could just cry and weep all the time for what was going on around him. He was a tender-hearted prophet. This is where we get the uh, name for Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He had a lot of emotions here during this time. And if he had simply lived by his feelings... And, and lived by his emotions only, he would have gotten out. He would have gotten out. And I think that's a lesson for us with regard to our feelings and our emotions. They are not the final authority in our life. They're not uh, the thing that we should plant our life and make our decisions based on. Jeremiah could have done that. He was very... He was very just grieved at what was going on and and could have acted on that and just said, this is too much for me. But he did not. But he wasn't done yet. Look at verse 2. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, just like a cabin in the woods. I don't even need electricity. I don't need running water. They had neither during that time of Jeremiah. But let's just make it like today. I don't even need, I just need a four walls and a roof. I would be happy there away from all of this. And Jeremiah's this was pretty, pretty intense. Just like you and I have a this that we often say, if I could just go to that cabin in the hillside apart from everyone. Verse 2, All that I had in the wilderness, a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. Look at chapter 20 and verse 9. He said, I could just cry and weep all the time. He said, I'd like to disappear into a life of solitude. And then we get to Jeremiah 20, verse 9. He says this, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He just says, I'm not even going to talk about the Lord anymore. I'm just going to resign from all of this. I'm going to close my mouth, and I'm just not going to speak about the Lord, because when I speak about the Lord, no one cares to listen. It seems like I'm not getting anywhere. But we find this about Jeremiah. Jeremiah though he had all of these things that he could have let him step out of God's small plan for his life, which was a part of God's bigger plan, of which he was a small part of, he did not step away to that place out in the wilderness for wayfaring men. He did not let his emotions dictate his next step away from the Lord and he did not just keep his mouth shut because he could not. He could not do that. Look at verse 9, the rest of that Jeremiah 20 verse 9 but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay or I could not stop I could not leave God's plan. I could not. I tried. I would be more miserable, Jeremiah said, in that cabin in the woods by myself than I would speaking God's word and facing the trials and the difficulties that came along with it. In the end, he knew that that place away from everybody would be more miserable than had he stayed faithful in the fight and in the battle. And he did... And we have Jeremiah to look to as a man that was faithful to the very end of his life. And we have 40 years worth of prophecies. We have a 52-chapter book filled with God's word through the mouth of Jeremiah. Had Jeremiah said, uh, the cabin for me. Think of some of the great things that we would not even be speaking of today. We wouldn't have Jeremiah 33:3. 30, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. Wouldn't have that prayer promise. Wouldn't have that promise from God. Wouldn't have the truth of the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it. Wouldn't have that. We Wouldn't have these wonderful truths about the God of hope in the midst of trial. We wouldn't have the example of a man who faced imprisonment and, and trial and yet came through faithfully. We wouldn't have that it's because God's words were burned deep within his heart and he could not help but speak those words. I could not stay, he says. Chapter 11, Jeremiah chapter 11, after several years of preaching, after several years of preaching, Jeremiah's family turned against him and even plotted to kill him. Look at chapter 11, verse 21. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of the men of Anathoth, that's the little town Jeremiah was from, that seek thy life. This is a little town, and the men of that town are seeking his life. This isn't a big place. He knew these people. They knew him. Saying, prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and daughters shall die by famine. There shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring evil upon the men of your hometown, we could say, Anathoth, even the year of their visitation. Look at chapter 12, verse 6. For even thy brethren, brothers, the house of... And the house of thy father, this is his family, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. Yea, they have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. He's forewarned by the Lord that his own family is plotting against him, and they're going to try to deceive him with these fair or deceitful words. He said there's a plan, there's a scheme there to trap you, uh, to stop you. Over the years, Jeremiah chapter 20, look at chapter 20, verse 1. Over the years, here's some things that happened to this man Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1. Now Pasher, the son of Emmer, the priest who was the chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin which was by the house of the Lord. If the stocks aren't enough, he was put on public display in those stocks. Verse 3, And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasher brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said unto him, The Lord hath not called thy name Pasher, but Magor Misabib. I don't think Pasher liked that very well. He said, I don't even know what you just said. That's a long name. It's a long name. Terror on every side is what that means in Hebrew. In other words, you're terror on every side. That's not God just brought him out of the stocks. He goes, I'm going to give you a new name. Your problem's everywhere. You're terrible. He was whipped. He was put in the stocks. Chapter 26. Chapter 26. Jeremiah's temptations to step out of God's purpose for his life. Included being put in the stocks in Jeremiah 26, verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Uh, let's see here. I'm going down, verse 8. And it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking, all that the Lord had commanded him to speak, the people took him and saying, Thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. He's attacked in this passage by a mob. He's threatened in Jeremiah 36 by the king. And he faces public insults and ridicule in Jeremiah 28. Zedekiah, the puppet king, the last king of Judah, comes to power. He has Jeremiah arrested, beaten, accused of treason, thrown in jail, taken up out of jail. Because in jail he could survive. And they threw Jeremiah into a cistern. At the bottom of which was soft mud, and Jeremiah sunk. With the idea behind that being that he would sink into that cistern and his body would be enveloped in that mud. He would die and they would be done with him and they wouldn't have to deal with his body. God sent an Ethiopian servant along to help Jeremiah up out of that mire just before he died. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 2. Jeremiah 16, verse 2. Some would say, worst of all, through this, Jeremiah was tasked with doing all of this work for the Lord and putting up with all of this all alone. Look at verse 2. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, verse 2, thou shalt not take thee a wife. Neither shalt thou have sons or daughters. In this place, not only had his family, his brothers, abandoned him, but he was to do his work here as a single man, a single prophet. After those years of success, the people turned against him. He felt alone knowing these horrors that were coming for the land of Judah. What did Jeremiah do? He spent 40 years... In God's small plan for his life, fulfilling God's bigger plan for all of the ages, he condemned false worship. He warned about a coming foe. He urged people to be right on the inside, create a clean heart inside of them, not just these outward reforms only. He saw a lot of people that apparently did that under Josiah. They did come to these, uh, the, the temple. They got the temple cleaned up. And, but in the end, I think Jeremiah saw through that and said, You know, that's a lot of outward cleaning. It's a lot of stuff on the surface. It didn't last. How about, how about getting right deep within your heart, your soul, and making that real? That's going to last. Urged the people to true repentance, inner spirit, right actions, rather than just some go through the motions religion that they had been doing. Well, Zedekiah is put on the throne of Judah. He's a puppet king, and uh, Jeremiah writes to those that had been taken exile into Babylon. He wrote to his fellow Jews that were there in Babylon, and he said this, there will be a time when you'll be permitted to come back to the land of Israel, but it's not any time soon. Right now, this is a time of judgment. And I'm going to encourage you to be faithful to the Lord there in Babylon. Be faithful. There's 70 years of judgment. Just be faithful. You're not coming home soon. I'm sure those that got that word from Jeremiah in Babylon had, at best, mixed emotions about that. I think a lot of them may have said something like this. Well, we're going to be here for the long haul. What's the use even serving God? We're 500 miles away from Jerusalem. A bunch of us young guys are here in Babylon. They're going to give us the king's food here at this table. Man, it looks good. Uh, you know what? They're going to give us the king's wine to drink here at this table. Get this old prophet back in Jerusalem that told us we're not going anywhere for a long time, but be faithful to serve God. But where's God here? No one even is going to know what we do. Hey, hand me that filet mignon, medium rare, please. Yeah, another serving of that wine there. Well, I think maybe four young guys. Four young guys read that letter, heard about Jeremiah's word, they said, okay, we're going to be here for a while. We may be 500 miles from Jerusalem, from the temple, but we're going to pray back that way every day. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to say no to that king's meat because it's been offered to idols. We're going to say no to that wine that he's trying to serve. And we are here going to serve God in our little small part of our life which is a part of God's bigger plan, and out of that group of young men that said, I'll take that to heart, we have Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We also have a lot of great, uh, a great encouragement from their lives too, don't we? Just some guys that said, I've got a small part here in God's plan, but I'm going to do my small part right. I might not affect anybody. They didn't know who they were going to affect Jeremiah, and he's looking for a house in the wilderness. But he said, you know, I can't do that. I've got God's word. God knows the time that I'm in. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God knows all about Babylon. God knows about this 70-year captivity. How do I just stay faithful and do right and serve him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right where we're at, right here, and not shut our mouths, but speak boldly for the Lord during this time. So that letter, it didn't have a big effect, or did it? Some guys took it to heart. Some listened. Jeremiah was known for his great object lessons. Among them, chapter 18, let's turn there, Jeremiah chapter 18. How many messages have we heard about this? This is Jeremiah telling us what he had to do, I'm quite sure. Jeremiah 18.1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the clay? No. As seemed good to the potter. So we've got this clay. This clay's got a lot of potential. It's got a lot of potential. If it is obedient and submissive to the hand of the one who has the big picture always in mind, big picture, this clay, this one pot, just a little, little part of what the potter's gonna do, just one pot out of the numerous that he's going to make during his lifetime but if that one piece of clay will just put itself in the potter's hand what the potter can do with that what the potter can do that was Jeremiah yeah broken the the, the, the pot was marred Jeremiah said I can't do this but he put himself back in God's hands And he stayed faithful. The book of Jeremiah offers us many, many valuable lessons. Judah was sent into captivity, but it was their fault. They were warned over and over again. He gave them much time to repent. Dozens of messengers proclaimed repentance. Jeremiah 31, though, says that these messengers were killed, abused, and mocked. God gave and gives opportunity after opportunity for repentance because our God's a God of forgiveness. We are for, refuse, refuse, refuse. A just God can only allow wickedness to continue for so long, right? Please, Lord, let there be 50, maybe 40, 30, 20, 10, not even 10. I've got to take these cities and destroy them, Sodom and Gomorrah. I have plans for you. We read that at the beginning, Jeremiah 29. I have plans for you, plans that are good and right if you'll stay in my path. Stay in my plan for you. Jerusalem was destroyed. The Babylonians... Release Jeremiah from prison and allow him to live in Jerusalem under their control. He's out of prison. The king of Israel, the last king of Judah, excuse me, Zedekiah, he's captured as he's trying to flee, and they hold his eyes open, the Babylonians, as they kill his sons in front of his eyes, and then put his eyes out and take him to Babylon, and he dies there. Jeremiah's set free. He's able to go in and around the city. It's been destroyed. The temple's been torn down. He's there for a little bit. Soon, those Jews that are left there turn on him again. And in the end, he gets sent down to Egypt. And again, tradition tells us that he was actually killed in Egypt, not by the Egyptians, but by the hand of his fellow countrymen who just had finally had enough of his prophesying. Jeremiah's life, tumultuous, trial, difficult, and probably the same could be said for his death, but here we have his words and his testimony thousands of years later, because he just had this sheer determination that he was going to stay in his small part, in God's place and plan for his life, and become a part of God's bigger plan for all that's going on, are we willing to do the same as Jeremiah did? Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. Great and mighty things, which you already know about, right? Because you're omnipotent. No, which you know not. I know not. I don't know what God's going to do, but I do know this. He'll bless you and I if we stay faithful in our small part of his bigger plan. Less about me, less about you, more about God. We started the evening service singing, Hey, let's talk about Jesus. The King of Kings is He, the Lord of Lords Supreme. Let's talk about Him. Less about me, less about you, more about God, more about God's plan, more about God's way. Let God do as He wishes with us. Let us be the clay in His hands. This is hope for today. This is better than the cabin in the woods. If the words of the Lord are in our heart, they will burn in our heart, and we cannot but speak them. We cannot but live those words and live them out faithfully. Jeremiah served the Lord faithfully. He fulfilled his small role in God's big plan, and you and I can do the same thing. Jeremiah is one man like that. In closing, I'll tell you about a man named Benjamin Robbins. He was a young Baptist preacher, and there was a county in western New York that did not have a church. And so he and a few faithful members were sent from a church next county over to pioneer this work in the early 1800s. This is frontier land in America at that time. Uh, this isn't the big cities along the east uh, coast there. Western New York, right on the shores of Lake uh, Erie, I guess it is. Uh, wow, that's a great place to, who would want to live there? I don't know. Talk about lake effect snow. Uh, you're like five feet away and then poof, there's this like 12 feet of snow that just, everyone sort of just, just literally just falls right on top of you. But Benjamin Robbins and his small group decide they're going to go and they're going to try to reach that county with the gospel. And so they did. And uh, in 1830, about 20 members started uh, the first Baptist church of Dunkirk, New York. Yeah, you know, for about the first 25 years, they didn't even have a building. And I know we say 25 years now, almost 200 years later, it's just an easy thing to say that. But if we say 25 years ago from right now in our life, well, let's way back. Some of you weren't even here. Some of the rest of us, you know, were minus four on our waist size or six or eight or ten or something like that. I lose track. Some of us had hair back 25 years. 12 years is a long time. No building. There's a courthouse. Floor one was the jail. Floor two was like community use. 25 years. I wonder, I don't know how long Pastor Robin stayed there. That's a long time to just sort of be renting some place and gathering together. They stayed faithful there, that church. After those years, the mid 50s, they got finally their house of worship. They built that church. What a blessing, that church building. They had a church. They had a church because church is the people. It's not these buildings. It's the people, faithful people. So there they go and Put this church up. Benjamin Robbins long since gone, passed away, and the church just kind of plugged away, faithful in the spot where the Lord had them at, and moved down, uh, down a little further south. And uh, by the way, I just said uh, passing back through last Sunday night, late last Sunday night, late. I told, uh, I was driving through with my wife, we're coming back from a, a church in New York. And, I said, pull off here at this exit. She goes, what are we doing again? I said, it's a surprise. She goes, I hate surprises. I said, I know, but I'm still going to surprise you. I want to see this church building. She goes, oh, great, another church. No, I'm kidding. She didn't say, oh, great. She said, oh, great, another church. Right? Is that, was that it? That was it. Can we turn the air down a little bit here? It's warm up here. I'm kidding. I just, yes, she follows me with my weird adventures. I said, I don't want to see this church building. I've been reading about it. I want to see this church building. So we got there and we went out. Why, are, why is some guy walking around this church building at 1030 at night? And I saw First Baptist Church of, of Dunkirk. There it sits. And um, read about it, learned a little bit about the history there. Anyways, uh, so we move up to uh, 1980. And that church, I don't know much about the church really through the, all this time. But I do know this, in 1980, it was their 150, uh, 50th anniversary. And I don't know what they did. That year, to celebrate that year's anniversary, but I do know that two people were saved and baptized in that church in 1980, First Baptist Church of Dunkirk, that the founding pastor had no idea would be saved and baptized 150 years afterwards probably wondered, you know, maybe after 15 years of meeting with no church building there, it's the mid-1800s, why are we even doing this? We can't even get enough money to get a church building. Maybe we should just stop. Is this worth it? Somehow, somehow, they stayed faithful to their small part in God's bigger plan. In 1980, Harry and Millie McCubbin were reached with the gospel and were saved and baptized in the first Baptist church of Dunkirk. And and, and, and around that time, two years earlier, a couple teens canvassed a trailer park in Charleston, West Virginia, that great city of wealth and renown and, I mean, just only the finest of there. Two teens knocked on the door of a trailer park on probably teen visitation, and they met Bruce and Sandy Snyder. They came and they were saved. A couple years later, they shared their testimony with Harry and Millie McCubbin at First Baptist Church of Dunkirk, came alongside of them, showed them how to be saved. They were baptized, and we thank the Lord that now the daughter and granddaughter of those people is our pastor's wife, Mrs. Mitchell. So it's 1830, here we are trying to put this little church together. Not much is happening. Not getting much progress. Ten years past, no building. Twenty years past, no building. It's just us. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I think they probably read the book of Jeremiah. And they saw somebody that stayed faithful, even though they wanted to quit sometimes. Even though his their emotions weren't matching up with their faith, and they would have rather just done something else. They just stayed faithful. God blessed faithfulness then in the life of Jeremiah, like he blessed faithfulness in the life of Pastor Benjamin Robbins, like he blessed faithfulness to a couple teens canvassing a trailer park, like he blessed, will bless every single one in this room that says God's got a big, big, big plan, big plan from the foundation of the world. He sees, he knows it all. He's put us here at this time. He's very aware of all the big, powerful things and difficult things that surround us. But in the midst of that, we have the Jeremiah promise, I will be with you. I'm beside you. Be courageous, young Jeremiah, 17-year-old. Be courageous. Got a plan for you, and this plan for you started before you were born. Now, you're going to feel like going to that cabin in the woods. Don't do it. Because that word that I've given is powerful. It's like a hammer. It's going to break the stoutest will. It's going to accomplish my will if you will deliver it faithfully. Even those men that are taken off into Babylon, write them a letter. Tell them to stay faithful. There'll be a Daniel that'll listen. There'll be a Shadrach, a Meshach, and Abednego that'll stand up when everyone else bows down. There'll be someone that will listen. And you know, might be a couple hundred years before you hear about it. You know what? You're not going to live a couple hundred years, which means what? You're never going to know. But we have God's promise. If we stay faithful, so will he. If we stay faithful, God's work can be done by us in our small little part of God's bigger plan. Jeremiah stayed faithful, so can we. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this.